Jesus' name. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. We're in a series called 239 Church, and we're looking in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, and we're gonna, we've are gonna we been walking through Acts chapter 2. So if this is your first time, you're okay. Uh, you're just in sermon number 2, and uh, we know that the Holy Spirit has something for you. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Father in heaven, we love you only because you first loved us. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just move in this room. God, that you would just do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. And Lord, we love you. And we thank you for new births. We thank you for salvations and baptisms. And we thank you for what you're doing in this fellowship. And we pray, God, for those in this room or those watching online, that they're not even sure why they're here. That your spirit would call them to yourself, that they would come to you as Savior and receive that abundant life you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and read Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse number 22. If you don't have a Bible, words will be on the screen behind me. Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. Now skip down verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness, that is, he kept preaching, and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You may be seated. When you, when you hear the word saturated, what comes to your mind? You know what comes to my mind? Fat. <laughs> saturated fat. Saturated fat is found in everything that tastes good. Amen. It's found in cake and cookies and biscuits and gravy. It's found in butter and cheese, and bacon, and everything at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it's found in ice cream, and it's found in donuts. It is found in everything that tastes good. H have you ever had a fresh Boston cream donut for the glory of God and expansion of the church? <laughs> Amen. It is chocolatey, sugary, creamy goodness. Melts in your mouth and on your hand. Well, the word saturated uh, isn't just about food, but it means to be thoroughly soaked, to, to hold as much moisture as can be absorbed. And so when you run in the summer months in the state of Florida, your clothes get saturated. When you wash your, your car or your truck, 
uh, and you get that little foam sponge and you put it in the soapy water, it gets saturated. Well, the church of Jesus Christ and our church here is to be so saturated with the gospel of Jesus that if you cut us, we would bleed Jesus. That's what we're to be about. We're to be so soaked and saturated with the good news that Jesus died for our sins according to scripture, was buried and three days later rose from the dead so that everything we are about, it oozes from us. But unfortunately, in a lot of churches, the gospel is missing. It's not that they don't know the facts. It's not that they don't know the story. It's that the truths of the gospel are not saturated in their everyday life. See, there, there's a difference, my friends, between knowing that a Boston cream donut tastes good <laughs> and eating it. See, there's a difference. <laughs> See, you all would say right here, man, I bet that's good. And I would say... It's real good. <laughs> Amen? Amen? See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just to be something you say is good, but it's to be something that you know by experience that it is good. That it should be a part of everything that you are. Let me finish this. <laughs> so we're in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 takes place on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was before Jesus and the church was born that day. It was one of the big fest, feasts and festivals in uh, Jewish life. So it was one of the big three. So you had Passover, you had Pentecost, you had the feast and festival of booths. The one thing that historians tell us is that Pentecost was kind of like Mardi Gras. It was kind of like Oktoberfest uh, without the beer and the beads, all right? It, it, it was a day in which people would party uh, like it's 099, all right? They were so excited. And so people would come over from the known world and they would descend on the streets of Jerusalem and they would worship God and they would celebrate the, the barley harvest that came in. And so on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit took the party to the next level, lit the flame, tongues of fire, people hearing the gospel, and this was the beginning of a movement that would actually touch us even to this day. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is a group of people who were saturated in the gospel and it changed people's lives. And so what is a gospel-saturated church? Well, here's what it is, and I hope this leaves, I hope you keep this in your heart, that a gospel-saturated church is filled with broken people who have been radically saved by Jesus and want to share that good news with other broken people. So let's unpack it. We're gonna look at it through three lenses. Number one, I want you to see as we walk through our text, the messenger. And when you look at the messenger, that's you and me. But we're gonna see it particularly in this story. We're gonna learn this, that God uses broken people to demonstrate the power of the gospel. In verse 22, we have the first Christian sermon ever publicly preached. He says here, men of Israel, hear these words. Now the question is, who's preaching here? Answer, verse 14, Peter. Now of all the apostles, maybe you're new to church, you never heard about Peter, Simon Peter. But of all the apostles, of all the disciples of Jesus, that would be the most unlikely to be at the day of Pentecost, it would have probably been Peter. 
And of, mo of the most shocking to be speaking at the day of Pentecost, it would be Peter. You say, well, preacher, why is that? Because I've heard a lot about Peter. Well, here's why. Seven weeks prior to the day of Pentecost, you know what Peter did? Peter denied Jesus three times. Each and every time he said, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 14, verse 40, 71, he actually curses himself and he says, I would be damned if I know him. Now, this dude, just a few days prior to that, said, ain't nobody, listen, everybody else forsake you. I'm not going to forsake you, Jesus. And what does he do? He betrays Jesus. And the moment he betrays Jesus the third time, the Bible says in Luke chapter 22, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Wow. Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, and he went out and wept bitterly. And in that moment, this Lord that he had followed looked him in the face, and he came face to face with his betrayal. And in that moment, Peter was cut to the heart, and he wondered, is God done with me? Is my ministry over? Is my life over? Am I gonna go to hell now because I've denied Jesus? Because for a minute, he lost himself. For a minute, he lost his faith. For a minute, he, he lost his courage and, and he thought, God, you, you're done with me, Jesus, you're done with me. But here's the good news, Jesus wasn't done with Peter. As a matter of fact, Jesus is risen from the dead. It is Easter Sunday, Mark chapter 16, verse seven. Uh, Jesus left a voicemail for Peter. He left a voicemail through the angel that said to the women at the empty tomb, you go and you tell the disciples and you tell Peter, meet me in Galilee. See, Jesus had a message for Peter because Peter was the one carrying the most shame. Peter was the one full of the most guilt. And Jesus wanted Peter to know because the tomb is empty, anything's possible. And so Jesus and Peter have an encounter at the beach. John chapter 21 at the beach, Jesus reaffirms and recommits to Peter. And he reaffirms the calling that he had on Peter's life, that you will be a fisher of men. And, and listen, when you see Peter's story, you understand that's your story? If you're a Christian, that's my story. Because, the, because Peter's story is the Christian story. And some of you, you've done some really bad things. And some of you, since you've become a Christian, you have actually sinned worse than you were than you did before you were a Christian. But here's the good news. If you ain't dead, he ain't done. Amen. That there is more grace and mercy in Jesus than there is sin and guilt in you. And one of the wonderful things I love about the Bible is that the worst of sinners often make the best of saints. That God loves to use broken people. So why is it that the Holy Spirit of all the apostles, why didn't he choose Bartholomew? Because nobody knows anything about him. That's why. <laughs> God chooses Peter. Why? Because what made Peter a powerful preacher at Pentecost is that he was a part of the evidence of what the grace of God can do. See, the power of the gospel shows us that the worst of us can be forgiven and used by God. Just read the story of the Bible. Maybe you're new to the Bible and you're like, I've never heard of this stuff. Well, stay with me. You know, Abraham, father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. All right, Abraham was a liar and a coward. I mean, Abraham, like, 
Anyway, we don't get into all that, but like Abraham was a bad dude. His grandson Jacob was a bad dude. His, Jacob, his grandson Jacob was also a liar and a coward. He was a whole family of liars and cowards. Moses. Don't think Charlton Heston, just think Moses. <laughs> Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer, a sexual abuser, and a murderer. Paul was a persecutor. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. St. Augustine was an addict. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he was a slave trader and a drunk. But that's why he wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a ranch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Because God loves to use broken people. And one of my favorite verses is Micah chapter seven, verse 19, where the prophet says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea and he'll put up a sign that says no fishy. See, God does not reduce us to our worst moments. So let me just share with you something don't ever use your past as an excuse to say you can't be used by God in your present. Because often your mess God uses as your message. Often your test is what God uses to use to be your testimony. Don't think because you failed that God can't use you anymore. Because God loves to use broken people. You know why? Because when broken people succeed, he gets the glory. See, God uses broken people like you and me to reach broken people like you and me. But yet one of the reasons that many of us, we don't share the gospel, we don't share this good news of Jesus. A lot of us that have been uh, uh, soaked uh, in, in the church life and, and, and just sit and, and sour uh, is because we don't really have confidence that God, that God can save the worst of us. I mean, we, we think of all the evil people in the world and all the people that we know that are just terrible people, and we think, there's no way God can save them, so I don't, I, what, why should I share Jesus with them? It won't do any good. And the reason is we don't believe. And the reason why we don't believe that God can't save the worst of us is because we don't see ourselves as the worst of us. But when you see yourself as the worst of us and you see that God can save you, a sorry, wretched worm like you, when you understand that God can save someone as evil and wicked as you and me, then you will share the gospel with everyone everywhere. But if you keep that halo on your head and you keep walking around with a swag in your step, you won't share the gospel with anyone and you'll never be used by God because you don't see that if it wasn't for the grace of God, you would have no hope. The reason why God called Peter is that Peter was broken. But Jesus fixed him. And a gospel-saturated church is filled with broken people who Jesus radically saves. That's the messenger. Let's get to the message. So what does he get up there and what's he going to say? Well, the message was that God sent Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. See, as Peter is sharing, the first message ever was the gospel. 
He starts, we, we didn't have time to walk through this, but he uses three Old Testament passages, Joel chapter two, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110. And he uses each and every one of those Old Testament passages to point people to Jesus. He says every one of those passages were pointing to Jesus. Do you understand that every part of the Bible is meant to point you to Jesus? That Jesus is the true and better version of every figure in the Bible, that he is the hero of the Bible. You understand that when you read the Bible, you're not the hero because the Bible is not primarily about you. The primary is all about him. The Bible is primarily always, always about him. So what is the gospel? Let me give you a, a little bit longer definition. Here's what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life for us, that he died a substitutionary death instead of us, according to scripture. And that three days later, he rose from the dead to deliver us from death. So that if you turn from your way and surrender to his way, he will forgive you. You will have a right relationship with God forever and you will be filled with his presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter preaches. Verse 22, he says, Jesus lived a perfect life for us. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Peter says Jesus was the man. He did not sin. He perfectly obeyed God. He, he performed miracles. And, and his performing of miracles wasn't bippity-boppity-boo. His performing of miracles was to validate who he is and what he came to do. He came to restore what sin had broken. He came to bring in a kingdom where there would be no disease, no demons, no disasters, and no more death. Some of you maybe, have you ever asked this question, you know, if, if, God, if all God needed to do was send Jesus to die, then why is it that Jesus lived on earth as long as he did? Why didn't, why didn't when Herod was killing a bunch of babies, why didn't just Herod kill the baby and we're all good? Why would Jesus live on this earth as long as he did? Here's why. To prove that in every point that you and I are guilty, Jesus was innocent. Where you and I failed to be the person that God intended us to be, Jesus succeeded. Where you and I failed the test of temptation, Jesus endured. Where you and I sinned, Jesus was righteous because he knew no sin and we know nothing but sin. We're flawed, he's flawless. We're broken, he's perfect. And he lived this life and suffered and lived in a fallen, broken world. He did it for us on our behalf. The second thing Peter teaches is this, is not only that Jesus lived a perfect life, life instead of uh, for us but verse 23 he died a substitutionary death instead of us this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless man Jesus not only is the man but Jesus followed the plan how can a holy God forgive unholy sinners there was a plan Corey Tim Boone said that in heaven there's never panic there's always a plan the plan was that Jesus would die to pay the debt that we owed. See, when we sin against God, whether that's telling a lie, whether that's committing murder, whether that's greed or lust or whatever, whenever sin we commit against God, the punishment for that is death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so how can we be forgiven by God and not have to pay for our sins? The answer is this. God had a plan, and the payment plan for your sins was Jesus. So God had a plan, but here Peter wants to make sure that you and I understand that it was you and I who killed Jesus. See, Jesus' death had our name on it. 
Now, as Peter is saying here, you killed him. This is seven weeks since the crucifixion of Jesus. Not everyone there at the day of Pentecost was directly involved in the death of Jesus, but yet two times Peter says, you killed him, you killed him. What does he mean here? It means you killed him. <laughs> you and me killed him. Now, we weren't literally there to nail him on the cross, but our sins nailed him there. Do you remember, some of you remember this old movie now. Like, you know you're getting old when 1999 was old. <laughs> Mel Gibson did a movie called The Passion of Christ. In the movie, he displays Jesus suffering and dying on the cross. And, and when it was time to nail Jesus to the cross, he, he cast himself as the Roman soldier who put the nails in the hands and feet of Jesus because he was saying, I literally nailed his hands and feet because of my sins. See, the gospel message is Jesus in my place. So he lived a perfect life, a life you should have lived but couldn't. So some of you who are trying to be perfect to earn God's favor, the good news is Jesus has already done that. And those of you who are trying to pay God back for all the bad you've done, the good news is Jesus did that. But then verse 24, Jesus was resurrected from the dead to deliver us. God raised him from the dead. He raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it's not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus was the man, Jesus followed the plan, and Jesus was raised to life again. Because death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him, the veil was torn before him, he silenced the boast of sin and grave. Now, if you were there, if you were there on Good Friday, if you were there at the crucifixion, and you looked up at the cross, you might have said, what good is gonna come out of this? Where is God? Or why would God allow this to happen? See, in other words, if you were to look at the cross, what good could come from this? Where is God? And in that moment, you think, well, God's absent. Oh, why would God allow this to happen? You think, well, God is cruel. But understand that at the cross of Jesus Christ, God is neither absent nor is he cruel. And in your life, you may be going through what you feel like is excruciating, what you feel like is hell, what you feel like is bad. And in your mind, you think, what good can come from this? In your mind, you may ask, well, where is God? Because you think he's absent. Or you may think, why would God allow me to go through this? Is God being cruel? And the answer is no. He is here and he can take something bad and turn it into good because out of the crucifixion came a resurrection that Jesus came and stole from the jaws of defeat, the absolute and ultimate victory because what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. Amen. See the resurrection of Jesus is validation that salvation is available to anyone who believes. Because he broke the power of death. The Bible says that, that he was loosed from the pains of death, that he was set free. Why? Because it's not possible for Jesus to be held by it. That word held means to be gripped by. That has no power. See, objectively, death had no power over Jesus because Jesus had paid the penalty for the sin. So if you owed the bank a lot of money 
The bank has a claim on you. The bank has a hold on you. They have power over you until the debt is paid. But when the debt is paid, the bank has no power over you. When the debt is paid, they can send letters all they want, but it don't matter. When the debt is paid, they can send collectors to your house, but it don't matter because you've been set free. And just as Jesus came and was released from the power of death through his death, so are those who believe in Jesus. His death is counted as their death, and therefore death has no power over you any longer. See, the resurrection of Jesus means that the debt was paid and death no longer has a claim. You know, there's a lot of people scared of death. I shared this story with you a couple weeks ago. New York Post article. Uh, The former governor of California, the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, He was interviewed by the great theologian Howard Stern the other day. Howard Stern asked the Arnold, what happens to us when we die? The Terminator said, nothing. You're just six feet under. And anyone who tells you anything else is a blanking liar. Later on, he's interviewed by another great theologian, Danny DeVito, (laughs) who is also one time his twin brother. Danny DeVito asked him a similar question, and here's what Arnold said. He says, when people say, I will see them again in heaven, it sounds so good, but the reality is we won't see each other ever again after we're gone. That's the sad part. He says, I know people feel comfortable with death, but I don't. Is that you? Does death scare you? Now, nobody's a masochist. Nobody really wants to die. But some people are scared to death of death. You know, as a Christian, how do we deal with death? I mean, we don't ever want to think about it. A friend of mine asked me, he says, what do you tell someone who's a Christian that's terminal with cancer? What do you tell them? Well, one is I tell them that God can heal you of your cancer. I believe that he can. He could say the word and it would be completely gone. But I tell them whether he heals you here, I guarantee you he's going to heal you there. You ever heard of Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans? Tony Evans is a pastor. His son, Jonathan Evans, is also a pastor. And his son, Jonathan, spoke at his mother's funeral. His mother, Lois, died of cancer. And what he said at the funeral really went... It went viral a few years ago. He was talking about where he was praying to God that God would heal his mother. And yet she continued to get worse. And he got upset with God and spent some quiet time with God. And he said, it's as if God said, you know, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean I didn't answer that prayer anyway. Because victory was already given to your mom. And then here's what he concluded. And he said this in his, in his uh, eulogy. He says, he says, here's what I learned. That God did answer my prayer. He says, there were always only two answers to my prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. 
Either she's going to be well taken care of or she's going to be well taken care of because victory belongs to the Lord because of what he's already done. Listen, my friends, that's the message. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. That Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived a perfect life. We couldn't live. He died literally in our place. And then he rose from the dead to deliver us from the fear of death forever. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Peter is preaching this. Here's a broken person that is a demonstration of the gospel. And he's preaching a message that Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And then it leads to a moment. That moment's also right now. Where God convicts us of our sins and calls us to surrender to him. Verse 36, Paul, uh, this is a summary verse for Peter's message. Know for certain, we ain't guessing here, that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. What Peter does here is he makes it personal. It's not just abstract. Sometimes you come to church and it just feels abstract. And, and you talk about all these people that lived a long time ago in a land far, far away, speaking a different language in a different culture in a different world. And we think, well, that was for them then, but it's not for me now. Do you understand that the message of Acts chapter 2, verse 36 is as, a, as, as applicable to you as it was to them? You and I crucified Jesus. That when we sin against God, it's not just breaking the law. It's breaking God's heart. Does anybody, you, you understand, anybody ever had their heart broken? You know who, can, who has the ability to break your heart? People that you love. Well, you and I, God so loved us. He's given us everything that we have. And we decide to go our way rather than his way. And it doesn't just break his law, it breaks his heart. But that's what the cross tells us. The cross tells us that we were so bad, Jesus had to die for us. There's no other way. But it also tells us we were so loved, he was willing to die for us. But it was our sins that put him there. So it was our lying, it was our stealing, it was our greed, it was our gluttony, it was our lust, it was our selfishness and our pride and our rebellion and our hate. All of that nailed him there. Do you understand that it's not just something that happened out there. It's not just something that other people have done. You and I have done it. I have done it. You and I have sinned against the holy God who's given us absolutely everything. That is real. That is personal. That's what Peter does. So in verse 37, the Bible says that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were stabbed in the heart. Have you ever been cut to the heart over something you've done? Not just that you got caught, not just a fear of consequences, but the reality that what you did was terrible and it cuts you to the heart. That can happen sometimes with your kids. Driving around and driving through Naples or whatever and you get upset and you say maybe a word you shouldn't say. Anybody ever do that? 
Your kids look at you and say, you're a preacher and you said that. Anybody ever have your kids tell you that? <laughs> Stabs you in the heart. Right now, maybe God's stabbing you in the heart because of who you're sleeping with that you're not married to. Or maybe he's stabbing you in the heart because of what you put into your body last night. Or maybe he's stabbing you in your heart because you're stealing money from your company. Or he's stabbing you in the heart because of your arrogance and your pride. Or he's stabbing you in your heart because you put so many other things ahead of him. So what do you do when you're stabbed in the heart? <laughs> he asked for, ask for help. And so they look at Peter and they say, what shall we do? We gotta do something. The guilt, the shame, the conviction, it's too real. Now the question is, why, why would they want to get this fixed? What would tell them that they're so bad, that they're so guilty? You know, some people, you don't like coming to church because... You don't want to be told you're bad. People love to flock to services that they're just, it's a warm fuzzy and everyone smiles. And You know who was convicting their hearts? The Holy Spirit. You know who's convicting your, you know why you got butterflies right now? The Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus says that when, G, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This whole idea of conviction is, is a legal term, which means to cross-examine and to press you with evidence until your inconsistencies are exposed and you consent to the truth. It's like an episode of Law and Order. He convicts you of your sins. The biggest sin is unbelief. You don't believe in Jesus. You believe your way is better than his way. And what the Holy Spirit's doing right now and where you're sitting at is you got these warm little butterflying feelings and it's the Holy Spirit saying, listen, you're living the wrong way. You know you're not living the right way. It feels good right now, but it's gonna end in destruction. That's the Holy Spirit. He not only convicts you of sin, but he also convicts you of righteousness. He's the one that tells you that Jesus is who he says he is. The Holy Spirit's the one who makes Jesus make sense to you. Because how in the world would any of us ever believe in Jesus? Answer is the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that when I preach here, most of the time it's not any good? Sermons are at best, I told you last week, are just mediocre. One guy said, he says, sermons are moderately delivered but exceptionally received. How do you know that any of this stuff makes sense? The Holy Spirit. He convicts you of your sins, convicts you of righteousness, he also convicts you of judgment. He's warning that there's a day of judgment, that if you don't submit to Jesus, you're gonna be judged and he's gonna send you to hell. Listen to, listen to me this morning. If you are a believer, this world is as close to hell as you'll ever get. Praise God. But if you're an unbeliever, this world is as close to heaven as you'll ever know. There's coming a judgment and one day you'll have to get an, give an account to God. And you're saying, preacher, are you trying to scare me? Listen, if you don't know Jesus, you should be terrified. You should sleep with one eye open and a shotgun and a baseball bat and pray and cry out because judgment is coming. The Holy Spirit's the one who tells you this. You say, oh, you know, here it is. I knew it was coming. Hellfire, damnation, prayer. I don't like that. I grew up in that. I don't like it. Well, I'll put it to you nicely. <laughs> if you've never surrendered to Jesus... 
you're going to hell. But you don't have to. Because Jesus paid through his life so you don't have to. And Peter says, how, 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 they ask Peter, what should we do? Peter gives them three things, real quick. Number one, repent. The word there is change your mind. Change your mind about who Jesus is. Jesus is not just your buddy. Jesus is your savior. Repentance is not just a resolve to do better. You know, I've talked to people and they're praying, and oh Lord, help me to be a better person. Listen, that's not repentance. That's you trying to save yourself. Repentance says, oh Lord, I cannot do better. I cannot try harder. I am never gonna be enough, but you are, forgive me. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not turning over a new leaf. Repentance is receiving a new life. Saying, God, I surrender. I can't do it no more. My way is the wrong way. Your way is the only way. And God, I wanna follow your way. I'm tired of following my way. Then Peter says, be baptized. Now, don't get the idea that you, baptism sends you to heaven. You going under the water and coming out of the water doesn't do nothing but get you wet. <laughs> Baptism is a public profession of faith. It's symbolic of the death to self and life in Christ. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's a demonstration that you are saved. If you, have, if you run around and you say, well, I'm a Christian and I've surrendered to Jesus, but I've never been baptized, I'm not necessarily sure you really have Jesus as your Savior. It's like a, a husband or a wife who says that they're married and in a very loving relationship but doesn't want to tell anybody about the marriage and will not wear a wedding ring. It's public. It's not secret. This baptism here is saying, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. Body, soul, everything. I'm all in for Jesus. Just as we celebrated that today, we celebrate almost every Sunday people whose lives have been radically changed by the gospel and they're not ashamed of Jesus. And basically, he was saying here, surrender. Peter was calling these people to lay down their broken lives and surrender. We don't like surrender. Any of y'all ever, some of y'all are history nerds like me, and that's good. You ever heard of the Crusades? Crusades were the Christians against the Muslims to take over Jerusalem, to take back the Holy Land. And so, armies of people in Europe, this is like, long, long time ago, they were Christian nations, Christian kings. And so before they went to battle, they would get all the soldiers and say, listen, we need God's favor. Everybody needs to get baptized. <laughs> and so they would have mass baptism. Thousands of these soldiers would get baptized. Now, for one reason they get baptized is they were scared to death they're going to die down there. So you might as well go ahead and get a little fire insurance, all right? But second reason, like I said, they wanted God's favor. But here's what they would do when they baptized the soldiers. They would baptize the, they would literally immerse them. They would put them all the way down except for one part of their body. You know what they wouldn't put down? The hand they held their sword in. They put them down and they'd be a hand sticking out. You know why? Because they didn't want that hand baptized because they're going to do some bad stuff with that hand. There's a lot of people in this room who want to be a Christian, but you want to keep your hand sticking out of the water. You say, Lord, here I am, except for this. You can have it all, but don't tell me I got to live right. You can have it all, but don't tell me I got to change my way. You can have it all, Lord, except for this little part that I want to keep to myself. That's not surrender. 
What Peter was saying to them is what C.S. Lewis said to us. We don't come to people, we do, pardon me, he, we don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. We come as rebels laying down our arms. So what happened? There was a moment. It's a moment. This is the moment right now. Stay with me. This is the moment. They heard the gospel from a guy who knew the gospel. And the Bible says in verse 41, so those who had received his word. Now, what you notice here is not everyone. Not everyone's gonna leave here a Christian. But there were those who did. Peter preached and 3,000 people repented of their sins, surrendered to Jesus, and were publicly baptized. You understand that the greatest miracle of the day of Pentecost is not the speaking of tongues. The greatest miracle on the day of Pentecost was the salvation of thousands of broken people. And that miracle can happen in this room in front of hundreds if not thousands of people today that the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit giving you butterflies in your stomach right now, saying, turn to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Listen, it's one thing to say Jesus is sweet. It's another thing to experience his sweetness. Here's what I love about Jesus. I'm almost done, hold on. The gospel says that if I'm in Jesus, that there's nothing I can do that would make God love me more than he loves me right now. And that if I'm in Jesus, there's nothing I can do that would make God love me less than he loves me in Jesus. That's the good news. And if you're here and you want that good news, don't just say, oh, Jesus is sweet. Experience him for yourself. The gospel demands a response. You're gonna give one today. Have you turned from your sins and turned to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? If you haven't, would you do it today? Everyone bow your heads. Everyone close your eyes. No one's gonna look around, make fun of you. Promise you that. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm feeling in butterflies. I know I'm not, a, I'm not a Christian. I'm not giving my life to Christ. I'm scared to death of death. If you say, Pastor, I know I'm not right with God. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. If that's you here this, this morning and you say, Pastor, though, I believe Jesus died for me and I believe if, that, that if I can ask him to save me, he will. If that's you today, no one's looking around, just me. Would you just look up at me if you wanna trust Jesus as your savior today? Just look up at me. I'm just gonna kind of scan around. I see eyes all over this room. I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you, I see you. dozens of eyes. I see you, I see you, I see you. I bow your heads. Those of you who said you wanna be saved, would you just pray this prayer with me? And if you already are a Christian, I want you to pray for these dozens of people who just looked at me. If you wanna be saved today, there's no magic in my prayer. 
But if you vocalize your faith through a prayer like this, God can save you. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have done things that are not right. But Jesus, today, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I ask that you save me. Be the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. And I ask that you help me to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you just prayed and asked Jesus to save you, I saw dozens of eyes that look at me. And if this is the first time that you've ever done that, I, I know one's looking but me. I'm not gonna have you do anything more than this, but I want you to do something courageous. If you just asked Jesus to save you for the first time, would you just raise your hand as high as you can raise it? I see you. Just raise it as high as you can. I want to see it. Raise it high to Jesus. Raise it high. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Praise God. Let's give them a hand, church family. You put your hand down. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you, you can now look at me, listen, if, if I saw about a dozen hands that say they trusted Christ or maybe more. If you did that, don't be silent. Take that card, tell somebody, put your name, your email. We wanna help you. We don't wanna make fun of you. We're not gonna spam you. We just wanna help you. And say, today I trusted Jesus as my savior and I wanna live for him and we wanna help you do that. Let's all stand and let's sing to the glory of Jesus. Praise the Lord, church family. Praise the Lord.